know to laugh at that. <laughs> Apparently, I have been, uh, for the second or third time in the last couple of months, the victim of somebody trying to impersonate my identity. So yesterday, a handful of you got text messages from a Dallas area code. By the way, I've never lived in Texas. Got a text message from a Dallas area code that said, Is me, Minister Josh. Let me know when you get this text. Most of you were aware enough not to answer it and to let me know directly. And so I put a Facebook post up that a lot of you had fun with yesterday. <laughs> Especially Jeff Ecker and Tom Davis. Thank you. Thank you. Jeff said, when you asked me for money, I left it on the park bench, just as you requested. <laughs> Tom Davis said, is Josh again? Need more monies? Try other bench. <laughs> what an age we live in. These can be really serious things. Thankfully, it doesn't seem like it was this time, but uh, be aware. I thought of, in honor of that misfortunate event, changing today's lesson from abundant living families to identity theft and preaching from Genesis 27. It's a slow burn. That's Jacob Steele's The Birthright. <clears throat> but instead, we're going to preach the message we had intended. And so we've got a story today about Jacob. An event from the life of Jacob. Jacob who is also known as Israel. So when you see the words of the text, you'll understand Israel becomes the nation from the man, Israel, also known as Jacob. Jacob, who's renamed Israel by God because the, the name means he wrestles with God. And indeed, throughout his life, he wrestled with God. One time in Genesis 32, he did it physically when there was a, a theophany, which is just a word that means God appeared in human form for a moment. The form that throughout the Old Testament is called the angel of the Lord. And Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord in Genesis 32 all night long. And so he, he won the name, he wrestles with God. But he had wrestled with God in many ways. He had wrestled with him mentally and he had wrestled with him spiritually throughout his life. There were some times when it seemed like for Jacob, Israel, that he would not leave a happy legacy. And legacy is what we've been talking about now for our third week today. And this will, this will finish the series today. These are the final days of a family man. A man who was committed to his wives. Yes, they lived in a day when they had several wives. And all of his children, and they were many. He was a family man who wants through thought, sorry, that should say thought, his chance to leave a good legacy was lost. And he thought that because one day some of his sons came home and said, your favorite son, your beloved son, Joseph, who is his favorite child from his favorite wife, you probably don't need to know anything more to understand that this family had problems than for me to say the sentence, this was his favorite son from his favorite wife. The other sons come home and say, we found this bloody garment. And Jacob says, he must have been eaten by wild animals. Can you imagine living in a family where there were favorites and where favorites that had been 
killed or lost were presumed in this world to have just been eaten by wild animals. This is the world they lived in. And Jacob then sees his family go through a number of devastating events in which legacies are broken, dreams are dashed, the family is separated, and eventually through famine, they're nearly wiped off the face of the earth. But God, but God in his infinite mercy had not allowed Joseph to die, instead had put him in Egypt where he rose to second in power so that when the brothers went to Egypt to try to buy some food, they found their brother and the family became, after a series of difficult events, reunited in Egypt, preserved by the grace of God. And today we read about Jacob having gone through all of those horrific events and the trauma that resulted, thinking that his chance to give a legacy was lost, now having a chance to pass it on. And so today I want to read the text again, and we're going to spend about uh, seven or ten minutes here working through the scripture so that you can understand and we can all together learn from what's happening in Genesis 48. And then we'll take about the last 10 to 12 minutes, and we're going to make a couple of points of application because we don't live in their times or their days, but in our days and our times, what might be some things we could do to follow through on the principles we see in this text. So we'll try to give a few suggestions. So if you would, open up in your own Bibles with me, and you can also follow along on the screen to Genesis chapter 48. And I want to reread these words and slowly work through them that Greg just read for us. Genesis 48 beginning in verse 8. When Israel, Jacob, saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, who are these? Now some of you are grandparents and cannot imagine being in a situation where your adult child brought grandchildren in front of you for the first time and you looked and you said, who are these? Remember, Jacob and Joseph had lived with a lot of trauma and a lot of separation. Now, it is most likely that when Jacob asks this question, he's pretty familiar with the two grandsons already. There's a couple of ways that this text has been understood. On the least likely interpretations of the text would be that this is the first time he's ever laid eyes on the two grandsons. Because he's been in Egypt now for 17 years, he's surely met them. Also, kind of on the least end of interpreting this text would be that he doesn't know what two people would go along with his son Joseph, and because of his blindness, it's mentioned in verse 10, he really truly doesn't know who's there. It's possible that because of his near blindness, he can't tell who's in the room. But if you read back a few verses, you'll see that he and Joseph have set this event up so it's almost certain that he knows exactly who is with Joseph. So on the most favorable interpretation is this. Jacob and Joseph had struck a deal that Manasseh and Ephraim, the two sons of Joseph, would be formally adopted by their grandfather. 
If you look back in the previous verses in your own Bible, you'll see that they were laying out this agreement. Verse 5, Jacob had said, Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came will be reckoned as mine. Why, with a caring, present, capable father, would the grandfather need to adopt these two boys? A couple of reasons. Because they were born in Egypt to a foreign wife, Jacob may have felt compelled to make sure everyone knew these boys are fully accepted in our family and they will receive an inheritance. Another reason, Reuben, the oldest son of Jacob, who should have gotten the greatest part of the inheritance, a double portion, in the brokenness of this family had committed a vile sexual crime against his uh, father by taking the women that belonged to his father. And so Reuben was going to be demoted from receiving the double portion of inheritance and the favorite son Joseph promoted by giving a full portion to each of the two grandsons, giving Joseph's inheritance a double portion. One-sixth of the estate. So Jacob and Joseph strike the deal. And when Joseph comes in the room with the two boys, Israel, Jacob, says, Who are these? So that Joseph can answer, The sons God has given me here, and Israel can respond according to their adoption protocol, Bring them to me so I may bless them. All of this is set up in an adoption procedure that was not uncommon in the ancient Near East. But it's more than that for Bible readers. For those of you who have spent your life poring over the scriptures and you love this book and the, the shapes and the turns of this book have shaped the turns of your life, you'll recognize in these words that there are biblical hyperlinks jumping off the page. Because Jacob, in Genesis chapter 27, when he was just a young man, about the same age most likely as Manasseh and Ephraim, around 20 or so, went into the bedroom of his own father, Isaac, and Isaac asks, who's there? Is it really my oldest son Esau? You sound like Jacob. And Jacob, with the help of his mother, had arranged for him to steal the blessing, and all of this is a, is a parody or a play off of how Jacob got it wrong and how his grandchildren need to get it right. Not by deceiving the people in their family, but by speaking the truth and receiving an honest blessing of legacy. This is a very Jewish way of writing about the events of life in a literary style that says, we realize we blew it, and God is providing a second chance, a chance to do things right. Isn't that beautiful, church? Amen? Amen. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age. And he could hardly see, so Joseph brought his sons close to him. And his father kissed them and embraced them. If you're marking up the text this morning or highlighting anything, I'd like you to circle or mark those words, kissed and embraced. This family has gone through some 
horrible events and some terrible trauma, but there's still a family that loves, and they make it known. And even great, powerful men like Israel, the father of a great nation, isn't embarrassed to be affectionate with the boys that he loves, his son and his grandsons. Nothing wrong with that. And so he kissed them and he embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, his son, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. This is a way for Jacob to give his testimony that God's been more faithful to me than I was to God. And so Joseph removed them from Israel's knees. Now this is an awkward situation in the story. It already said earlier in this chapter, although we didn't read it, that Israel, Jacob, had to be propped up in his bed. He's so old, he's nearly blind, he's really frail. And so he's propped up in bed, and when Joseph came in with the two boys that are about 20 years of age or so, they had climbed up on the bed, and they had sat probably right next to Jacob's knees, maybe leaning on his sides. That's how he embraced and kissed them. And now, Joseph, symbolically, of course, took both of them. There's no way he lifted these 20-year-old boys. He put his hands on them, he guided them down to the side of the bed, and they most likely knelt. One on the left hand, that was Ephraim. And Manasseh towards Israel's right hand. They were brought close to him. This was so that Manasseh, the oldest, would get the right hand of the blessing, the, the best part of the blessing in their mind. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Again, the the links to the stories in Genesis are just jumping off the page for us. The way that his own grandfather, Abraham, had assumed that the inheritance would have to go through Ishmael. But God said, no, it'll go through Isaac, the son you didn't expect to have. And the way that Isaac thought the blessing should go to Esau. But God had arranged in a way, even though Jacob grabbed it in an unhealthy way, for the blessing to fall to Jacob and not to Esau. And now... Joseph, his son, thinks, well, I need to arrange it so that the oldest boy gets the blessing. And by now, Jacob knows better. God has ordained that these blessings will go like this, and this is the way they'll go. And so he crosses his arm, and he blesses the boys like this. He said, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who's been my shepherd, all my life to this day. The angel, you remember the angel of the Lord, the theophany when God appeared in the flesh and he wrestled with him? This was God as he had met him personally. He says, that angel that I met who delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and may they increase greatly on the earth. And with those words, Jacob, the deceiver, Israel, the one who wrestles with God, gave his legacy to his grandsons, but a better legacy for them than the one that he had written at the beginning, one that had been redeemed by God, one that had been shaped and changed by a life of learning and hardship. So this week I meditated on this text. I thought about some ways that this text might bless you and me in this church today. In a culture in which we don't 
often do these hands-on blessings of sons and grandsons and make that the official inheritance. We write wills. How much warmer is a blessing laid on with hands than a will written on page and kept in a safe? There's something to this story that we could learn. So let's take a moment and let's look at just a few parts of it. We learn from this story that abundant families, like Jacob's, abundant families will not be perfect. Jacob's family was blessed with an overflow of blessings by God. He received the birthright. He received the inheritance. He went into a foreign land. He met a woman he wanted to marry, and God ended up sending him out with four wives, which again, this is weird for us, but at that time, he was considered very blessed. Twelve sons, flocks and herds, which were the currency of the day that even though his uncle Laban tried to cheat him over and over out of his flocks and his herds, Jacob just kept growing. God saw that made sure he had an abundance of blessings. He went home with so much that he sent whole troops ahead of himself with gifts to make peace with his brother Esau after the conflict that they had had. He, his life was literally overflowing, and yet it was not perfect. He mourned for his lost son. They went through hard times. Your family doesn't have to be perfect to be God-blessed and to finish the story better than it started. There's a thing we too often do to ourselves when we think about our legacy in our life. We look at it through a distorted lens. And I don't know what your distortion might be. The staff has had fun this week talking about several different kinds of cognitive distortions, the way we view our life and see it as worse than it really is. We blame ourselves. We say, I should, I should, I should. I should have been better. Well, here's one that might have related to Jacob and might relate to you. All or nothing thinking. Jacob could have laid his hands on these boys and said, boy, life sure could have gone better. He could have laid his, hand, his hands on these boys and he could have said, boys, now, if you ever make the mistakes that I made, you'll really wreck your life. Oh, my life's been so hard, it's all been a waste. He could have looked at it through the lens that says falling short of perfect is total failure. Now, I want you to be honest. You'll look at Jacob and you'll say, no, no, no. So long as the story turns out well, all's well that ends well. You know, Jacob's life ended pretty well. But do you give yourself the same grace? In your walk with Jesus, are you giving yourself the same grace? In your parenting of your children, the mistakes that you might have made, are you giving yourself the same grace? The opportunities that are there now with your grandchildren, are you giving yourself the same grace? Or are you living in a clouded, convoluted state that says, I have been a failure because our family wasn't perfect? Wouldn't you let God rewrite the end of your story, make it different than how it started? I'm so thankful that our Home Point team, led by Greg and all the volunteers that worked with him, provided so many quality materials in this legacy campaign. And I don't know if you've had the chance to see them. I don't know if you skipped them because you're not a grandparent. They may be most immediately applicable to grandparents, but they're good for parents and they're good for grandkids too. 
I've picked a few of these things out myself that I'm planning on calling my two grandmothers and talking to them about. This is one of the things they gave us. It's called a Legacy Grand Time Chat Card. If you didn't receive one yet, you can get it from the table in the back or the Home Point Center. Or at any time, you can go onto our website, bentonvillechurch.com, forward slash legacy, and you'll find all the materials for the Legacy campaign laid out in a neat row of hyperlinks that you can click and open and download for your own use. You need one printed? Call our office. We'll make sure you get one. The Legacy Grand Time chat cards is full of questions that a grandparent could ask a grandchild or the grandchild could use to interview the grandparent. I just picked four of my favorite off of there. Grandparent could ask, if you could invent something, what would it be? Man, that, now see, that's a question I'd like to answer. I've spent, my, I've spent my years thinking about all kinds of things I'd like to invent. I could tell my grandma that, and we could talk about it, and then if she was wise, she would say, tell me more. And we'd end up having a good conversation. You could ask a grandchild, what's the best present you've ever received? Grandkids like talking about presents. Grandma, what was the best job you ever had? Grandpa, who were some of your friends? What did you do with them? This sheet is just full of questions like that that open up conversation in a non-confrontational way. Sometimes it feels awkward to talk to somebody from a different generation, even if they're related to you. I feel like, in a way, a theme for this church this year has become how do we find ways to talk to people that we don't know that well? We did a three-week series called Public Faith in which we looked at opportunities for how could we talk to other people in dialogue about the most important questions of life. What would be some creative ways we could open those conversations up in a non-confrontational way? This is the same kind of thing, it's just for the home. This is why our Home Point ministry exists, to encourage faith conversations in the home so that they can become more vibrant than just, you know, well, grandkid, I hope you love Jesus. Well, yes, I will. Okay, that's all we have to talk about. You know, you'll get into this beautiful conversation where they begin to learn about what it was like to be friends in the days when movies cost a nickel. Is that true? Is that even real? I think it was real. You get the point. We're looking for ways to open up conversation. To get grandma and grandson and granddad and granddaughter on the swing, in the chairs, laughing together about life and imagining it finishing better than it started. We could also take this away from Jacob and his sons and his grandsons. Abundant families will leave legacies of growth. Please write that word in the back of your bulletin. Please write it, circle it, highlight it, mark this word down. Legacies of growth, even if it starts late. So often we get lured into thinking that we stop growing in midlife. For those of you who are in the second half of life, you know it isn't true. You don't stop growing, you don't stop learning, you don't stop dreaming. You know, if you wanted somebody to drop off a pile of lumber in your yard, a couple of trucks could pull up to your house, they could load the lumber down into your yard, and you could have stacks of lumber in your yard 
in 30 or 40 minutes. But if you wanted to grow a tree from which all that lumber was produced, it's going to take generations. It takes a lifetime. It takes minutes that lead to hours, that lead to days and weeks and years. And so with whatever time you have left, even if you've wasted some of that time so far, if God's given you minutes, use minutes. If it's hours, use hours. If he blesses you with years, use years to be people of growth. Jesus told so many parables about just this kind of thing to spur us into action. That he would cause supernatural blessing to come in the lives of those who committed to him even if it was late in the journey. Don't you remember the story in which he says, they gave a talent to the workers in the morning. They gave a talent to the workers at midday. And the guy that comes at three o'clock in the afternoon, they promise a full talent. You think that's just about heaven? No. It's about real transformation that God is willing to give you. Because you give to him your story now, whether it's at 18, 38, or 78. Take some time to look at the growth of Jacob and Joseph in these scriptures. If you have time this week, you could read the long story from Genesis 27 to 50. And, and you could look and you could mark down things that Jacob does that are just rotten. And then later in his life, things that he does that are grace-filled. Or you could read chapters 30 to 7 to 50 and you could look at Joseph and do a character study. And you could circle the rotten, obnoxious, arrogant things he says and does as a young man and the grace-filled things he does as an old man. And I promise you this, those are not the only two character stories that are woven into those chapters of Genesis. There are other stories of redemption. Our Home Point team gave us this card called Grand Ideas. And I know you can't read that. I need you to go look it up on your own and make sure you have one at home. But each of these ideas have these three principles in them. Make a plan to do some activity with the person in your life you want to connect with. And yes, this is for grandparents and grandchildren, but you got somebody you feel far from that you want to impact and you want to restore relationship, make a plan for it. Your plan should involve prayer. Your plan shouldn't stop at prayer. Don't just pray, God, I'd like to know my grandchildren better. Put it on the calendar. This card is full of creative ideas. You say, I'm not very good at thinking of things to do. That's why the Home Point team wrote down about 50 of them and put them on this card that you can download. They, everything from going to a park somewhere and having ice cream to things you could build to things you could collect, all kinds of creative ideas. And foster that relationship. If we want to leave a legacy of loving, abundant, life-filled, godly families, we've got to go for it. We can't sit around and hope for it. Finally, abundant families believe in the power of blessing. This is the one that may feel or seem the most awkward to you, but I'm going to ask you to go for this too. Don't just go to the park and have ice cream. Go for a moment of connecting with your grandchild through blessing like Jacob did with his two grandsons. Here's a way that you can do it. Our Home Point team provided this card as well called The Blessing. It's my favorite piece from this kit. Greg, this is my favorite piece. You asked which piece I like the most, it's this one because this one stretches us the most. And on that card, you'll find some text, you'll find some instructions about how we, like Israel, can learn to leave a blessing on those that we love. And it has some steps to it. Now, if you've got your bulletin, I want you to write these steps in 
in the, in the space in the bottom. They're very simple. Be committed. And I put the word prayerfully in there. Be committed. Be prayerfully committed. This means you, this idea will not work if you're not committed to see it through because it's going to feel a little awkward. It's going to feel a little strange to some of us. You've got to be committed to the grandchild. You've got to be praying about this. You've got to be thinking about them. You've got to lovingly touch them if this is safe for you in your context. We're in a world, and rightly so, where it's very, we have to be very careful about saying touch anybody. But we're saying in your context, this is your family, these are your relations, and it's safe for you to do so. Put a hand on the shoulder. Cup their cheeks in your hands. Put a hand on the head like this, as they stand and they look at you. They're older, they're older grandchildren, they're six foot four, you're five foot eight, no problem. Take their hands, okay? Create a connection with the person that you mean to bless. Look in their eyes, this is another kind of touch. Look them in the eye, right in the eyes, so they know you, you love them. You're not just saying it, you mean it. Express value about them and see potential in them. This means that you need to say it. This means you need to say something about them that you think is beautiful, that is good. God gave you, my grandchild, a gift for photography. You see the beauty in nature. You always pick out details that God left for us to enjoy, and it creates worship in the world that wouldn't exist if you weren't seeing it. This is worthy, and this is worth noticing about you, and in you may all of God's creation always be seen and enjoyed richly as you worship him. A blessing from a grandparent. You don't have to get... You know, you don't have to get worked up. You don't have to cry. You don't have to raise your voice or any of these things, but you could just lovingly hold their cheeks and say, I see in you that even when the rest of your siblings are treating each other wrong, you always try to treat them right. This is good. I love this in you. Bless people. You guys can bring that down. Just black it out. Yeah, that's good. Bless people. Bless people. Whether it's your spouse, your child, your own parent, your aunt, your uncle, your cousin, the, the person you're splitting rent on a house with while you work your way through the early single years of being a career person, whoever it might be, learn to bless people. And I mean this in a very literal way. Learn to say to people, God bless you today. Learn to do it in physical ways, leaving a gift, writing the note. Bless people. We want to know how to leave a legacy. We want to know how to change the world from the inside out. How to make an impact on future generations. How to multiply the church. How to create more appreciation for the kingdom of God in a world in which it seems like the appreciation for God is shrinking. We want people to see how Christians contribute to society. Bless people. Let's become a church of people that leaves a blessing and that means it. Now would you stand together this morning as we offer this moment of invitation and a song with it. Allow me simply to be a representative of all the many leaders here and of the Lord himself who wrote these words and gave them to Moses so that the people of God would use them over and over. The Lord bless you and keep you.
The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. On the earth you reign on high.